Wait, 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 wait. Okay, we're recording. We're recording. <laughs> yep, that's my mom. And I'm Rebecca, here to help her answer your questions. Because as we like to say, the only problems are the ones we can't talk about. This is Advice from Mom. This episode is all about helping our listeners to make progress. Whether you're getting feedback at work, trying to salvage a relationship, or balancing creative pursuits with your daily responsibilities, figuring out your own personal process for progress can be tricky. On this episode, we answer questions sent in by these listeners, finding my way in feedback, wondering how to have it all, and fight versus flight. Each question will get their own personalized advice from a creative professional. We'll hear from some Nashville songbirds, a successful novelist, and the collaboration matriarchs of public radio. Then each question will get some advice from Pittsburgh's favorite podcast psychologist with over 35 years of experience as a family therapist. Yep, I'm talking about my mom. And then you'll hear me give that beloved pod mom a hard time with a healthy round of follow-up questions, a.k.a. mother-daughter pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. This is a game with only one rule, and that is that you remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. So, Mom, as this podcast grows, we have potential to do some fun, exciting adventures to collect advice from people. That would be so exciting. I've been keeping my ears open for ways that people are helping themselves and helping each other make progress. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it to you to come up with these great ideas. Thank you for the encouragement. I thought it would be very informative to go somewhere that is teeming with people who are making creative stuff happen. And I heard about this group of screenwriters who meet in Los Angeles every other Wednesday, and they have an interesting way of keeping each other on track. Okay. Instead of sharing their actual work and the writing that they do, they share the progress that they've made. Oh. And then the group assigns each person what they need to complete by the next meeting. So it's almost like a little bit of a support group or? Yeah, they call it an accountability group. Uh-huh. What a great new twist on that one. Talk about the accountability. Whoop. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like Wendy was saying in the last episode about creating a structure for yourself. Yes, yes, yes. And you want to hear the coolest part? Sure. They invited me to join one of their meetings. Oh, how fun. You're going to add so much to that group, and they're going to teach you so much. It's neat. It's great. Basically, my first podcasting business trip. You're not going to record from there, are you? It already happened. You already did it? I just didn't tell you. Wow. I've been keeping secrets from you. <laughs> Through the magic of podcasting, it'll feel like I just snap my fingers and we're magically there. Uh-huh. Brace yourself. There's a lot of hustle and bustle in the restaurant. Well, real life is like that. We will be in the middle of Silver Lake with a TV writer who started her career on Spin City and Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. I think I even used to love that. Don't I know it. It was so good. She now contributes to the New York Times and the Los Angeles Review of Books. 
and we'll be there just in time for the meeting of the accountability group to start. Hi, I'm Hadley Davis, and this is where my writer's accountability group meets on Wednesdays at 12.30, except today, because no one in the group uh, is accountable today, Um, which is ironic, but life has gotten in the way. (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that must have been such a bummer. Yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer. Oh, I'm sorry. I did think of something really dramatic to say. Okay. In this case, the only thing sadder than one hand clapping was one person showing up for the accountability group. (laughs) That's good. I had a good time in L.A., and I think there's an important lesson there about (laughs) how the creative process can get derailed. (laughs) For sure, for sure, for sure. So how are you going to handle that? I'm going to use this as my fuel, and now this episode truly has a mission. It's on a mission to find out how do we make progress when life is getting in the way? How how do we actually complete a creative project? And, you know, sometimes there's going to be hiccups and bumps along the way, and that's okay, too. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way of, of doing it. Just make it part of your uh, process. So we got some great questions coming up. I'll say. Let's get right to them. Okay, I'm ready. Our first question tackles how to deal with criticism in the midst of a project. I'm an independent filmmaker and writer. In the last few years, I feel very fortunate that I've been seeing some success. I've focused on developing my voice as a storyteller. I know the way to improve is by showing my work in progress to others and to ask what's working and what's not. I always try to be open to feedback. Sometimes the feedback is helpful, while others, not so much. I'm also wary that as a woman, I get more negative feedback than my male counterparts. In the past, overly critical feedback has killed a project before it had time to grow. I'd like some advice on how to take feedback. How do I know who to trust? How do I protect my work at its most vulnerable stage, while still being open to input that could improve it greatly? Signed. Finding my way and feedback. So often with creative work, we need other people's input. So, finding my way and feedback, I'd like to introduce you to two women who have created an amazing structure for this process. Meet, Wit, and Kira. Well, I'm Kira Small, singer-songwriter here in Nashville, and I'm here with Wit Hill. Hello. Also singer-songwriter here in Nashville, and we're part of something called East Nashville Song Salon, which was created to be a safe space for fellow songwriters to bring new works, whether they're quote-unquote done or not done, and get feedback from other songwriters. And it's based on Jack Hardy's New York City Song Exchange that started decades ago in uh, New York City. Jack's no longer with us, but... Salon endures. And flourishes. Indeed. And has sparked the creation of hundreds, if not thousands, of songs. So if the case was that feedback she received caused her to really doubt the project and, and stop it and end it, boy, I'd really, I'd really suggest reevaluating that. And reevaluating who she's getting the feedback from, Absolutely, too. absolutely. It's not like every feedback you get, you're going to go, okay, that person is telling the... No, you. it's, it's like they say in other meetings, take what you want and leave the rest. <laughs> um, they're people I just absolutely love and adore. 
and admire their work who will not get something about a song of mine that I totally get and I feel confident about and I can say thank you and you know address it or, or not. And you've got to listen to that internal voice. Uh, I can get sucked into like, okay, I brought this song in this week and here's what everybody at Salon said. So I did everything they said and I brought it back and now they now it's different people and they said different stuff and you know, and I can get to where I lose. I don't even remember what the heck I was talking about because I'm just trying to please everybody in there. So sometimes it's a good reminder for me to kind of check my own internal compass. And sometimes you need the feedback to, to be able to register that gut reaction. You know, you have to get an external no before you realize your own internal yes. I had a project a couple of years ago. If I tell you about it, it, it's, <laughs> it doesn't sound so good. It sounds crazy. <laughs> it sounds crazy. But it's the best thing ever. <clears throat> yeah. I like to do metal detecting. I really like it. It's my hobby. I'm like one of those guys at the beach with the socks and the sandals. And so I found all this stuff. And of course, since I'm a songwriter, I write songs about the stuff that I mm-hmm. dig out of the ground. And so I thought, what about a concept album? And, you know, at first people are like, well, wit, that's, that's a fine <laughs> idea. <laughs> and, you know, nobody gets it. And I don't care. I did it anyway because um, somebody had to. And it's some of the most beautiful work ever. Like, I, I, seriously, I cry. Every, there's a couple of songs in there that make me cry every freaking time. My larger point, though, is that for some people who might hear about something like that, they might immediately dismiss it. I'm not interested in that as a listener, as a publisher, mm-hmm. or whatever. Commercially, forget it. It's so, you know, out of the realm of normal. But it's art. What are we? You know, what are we here mm-hmm. for? Just to, we're, we're here to let these tiny little kernels of whatever, you know, bubble forth and see what happens with them. And so, yeah. You know, consider who's saying it, see what's consistent, see what's not. Because you may get wildly differing feedback from two people in pretty similar positions and with similar agendas or whatever, or similar parts of the business, which just goes to show you that this guy's having this kind of day and he's having his own career questioning issues or whatever. And here's where this guy's focus is. It's so subjective. It's totally subjective, but we all struggle with it. Well, Mama B, we we totally agree about trusting your gut. We do it every day. Or try to. Mm-hmm. And when we can't remember to trust our gut, that's why we surround ourselves with other people to remind us to trust our gut. <laughs> and other people whose guts we trust. That's right. In guts we trust. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kieran Witt. I think you just came up with Advice for Mom's new tagline, In Guts We Trust. And now, here's some advice for my mom. Thank you so much, Kira and Witt. It's amazing what you're doing with the songwriting salon. And thank you so much finding my way in feedback. I invite you to celebrate your successes. They provide the foundation for your career. Even though this issue is probably the result of kind of normal workplace competition, it is worrisome to you. So I'm glad that you are taking it seriously. It does make sense that We must believe in ourselves, even though others may not. And to strengthen your belief in yourself, I'll make a couple of general suggestions, and then we'll go to some more specific ideas. First, boost your brain food. Your brain needs fuel, just like a car needs fuel. Second, which is what I'll focus on, is boost your confidence in yourself. We all dislike when our colleagues or even our loved ones criticize us or are disappointed with us. So I'm suggesting that first you protect yourself and do what I try to do always in a situation like this and act like a duck. 
So when Rebecca was just a little girl and she would come home from school and be upset about something, I would say, do you think you can act like a duck and let it all roll off your back? So my bottom line on this one is don't take it too seriously. It's, you know, it's just part of how things work. In building your confidence, I have an exercise to suggest. I'd like you to consider making a list. And this list is going to focus on your past successes. So on the left-hand column, I'd like you to write the word projects or my projects. And on the right-hand column, I'd like you to write what I did right. It's very important for us to bring to mind those things, especially from past experiences, that we, we know we've done a good job at. We often know exactly what's wrong with something, but we don't often know what we've done right. So the, the basic question is, how did you make each of those projects succeed? And you could go way back to even elementary school if you'd like. The more you list, the more helpful this will be. So another way to protect yourself when you're feeling vulnerable is absolutely one of my favorite strategies, and it is to what I call exit the scene. If you're feeling upset about some feedback that you're getting, give yourself a break. Uh, return to that task when you're feeling more comfortable and more calm about it. Even better, you might walk away and do something that you enjoy. For many people, this kind of uh, walking away will allow your mind to reboot and will be a big help. So next, I'm suggesting that you focus on analyzing what you call your male counterparts. And uh, please also include your female counterparts, those people who've given you feedback in the past. To do this, I, I am again uh, suggesting a list with three columns. The left-hand column should give the name of uh, the person who's giving you feedback. The middle column is a rating of how respectful that person is of you. So a rating of zero indicates that that person is not at all respectful of you. But a rating of 10 would be somebody who you perceive as very respectful of you. And the final column has to do with who is a good teacher. So a zero would indicate this is not a good teacher at all, or a 10 would, would indicate excellent as a teacher. So what are you going to do with this list? Well, think of yourself as a kind of detective who's looking for clues about who on that list can give you helpful feedback and help you move and make progress in your career. In your own words, whom to trust. That's what the list should help you to indicate clearly. Finally, I'd like you to consider putting a star next to names of people that you respect. So that respect thing, of course, goes both ways. And I believe your goal here should be to have some success, success in building your own confidence and in building your support system, both very important. 
Of course, we don't know how much effort it might take for you to get unstuck. But I hope you'll persist and I hope you'll keep trying things until something works. So always keep your eye on that goal. Finally, I think of myself as a kind of outsider to your field, to your creative field. Rebecca's the one who has had life experiences that are very relevant to this question that you ask. I think it's time for... Mother, daughter, pickle. Well, Mama, you might not be an insider to her industry, but you are an insider to her mind. Ooh. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, yes, I'll, I'll take it. I love that. So it can be so hard when you're receiving feedback to not take it personally, right? To not allow it to be a commentary on you, especially if you're, let's say, making a film that is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. And Mama, what you were suggesting about how to boost your confidence, I think is really helpful in creating that separation between who's giving you feedback, and what you should really take seriously. Pick carefully the people you're going to really listen to carefully. I'm so glad that you brought up gender and respect in your answer to this question. I think that's a really important element to talk about. Um, And it got me going on some research. I wanted to look in to see if there's any research about how females and males are perceived differently in relation to feedback. Good girl. There is a research study out of Cornell and Temple that looks at female entrepreneurs in what they call masculine-coded industries. So they talk about um, technology and engineering and mathematics. And certainly as a professional, one of the industries I'm involved in is tech. So I can definitely say that this is relevant to tech. But I also think it's relevant to filmmakers. Um, Mom, I know you and Dad went to see Wonder Woman for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. That was the first major studio superhero movie that was directed by a woman. Wow. Ever. Wow. So, I mean, it's kind of amazing that that hasn't happened before. But I think that kind of shines a light on how masculine-coded filmmaking can be as an industry. Sure, it sure does. And uh, it's really not something people talk about except maybe in terms of, um, you know, discrimination suits and things like that. But uh, it's a real real, uh, factor. Totally. And so there's a study out of Cornell. Um, Well, they talk about a digital double bind for these industries. What do they mean? the female entrepreneurs are constrained by the feminine stereotypes. So oftentimes they have to take on more work and more risk than men do um, to even to get the same level of success. Wow. Wow. It's so unfair, hey? A lot of it is almost just knowing what are what are the constraints, just knowing that that's not in your head. It's not just you, mm. that mm-hmm. this, is, there's, this is part of a bigger picture. So I was at a design talk recently where they spoke about this research done at Duke University that looked at both architecture and fashion design. And, of course, architecture is pretty typically male-dominated, whereas fashion design, we think of that more as a feminine creative endeavor. And they basically showed participants, both male and female, these different drawings of both buildings and fashion design. And they changed one thing. 
for some people, they would have the byline on on the sketches be a female name. And other times they would show the same exact sketches, but they would change the byline to a male name. The blueprints that had a male name on it were considered more creative. Mm. I knew you were going to say that, but it was hard to hear. But the interesting thing is both men and women thought that these blueprints were more creative when they had a a man's name on it. So it's not necessarily saying that this is, you know, men repressing women. Oftentimes it's just perception repressing all of us. We're all subject to the same kinds of distortions in our perceptions. It is rather shocking. Mom, I am going to give you the floor to talk about one of your favorite things. Oh, golly. Brain food. My mama wants to talk about brain food. Even though she's not an expert on brain food, she really likes to talk about (laughs) brain food. (laughs) Okay. Brain food is basically um, protein. You know, so this recent or this trend towards saying, oh, Beef is so awful. It's so horrible. It's da, da, da. but for some people, uh, it's very essential. So basically, you're saying if your brain needs beef, give your brain beef. <laughs> exactly. Our next question comes from someone who's having trouble making progress because the focus of their day to day life has changed a lot. I'm a professional writer and editor. I started in book publishing, and now I work at a museum. I used to play in bands and paint, but it's been a long time since I experienced that creative flow. Now I mostly make up lyrics to silly songs for my two-year-old son, and still try to write a little on the side, but not really, because who am I kidding? My big question to fellow parents who are also creative professionals is how do you do it? How do I make the time and energy for anything other than feeding, entertaining, loving, and keeping this little human from hurting himself? Plus get five hours of sleep a night. Plus maintain a relationship with my partner and go to a job 40 hours a week. What are the parameters or loopholes for making all this possible? Because my partner and I don't seem to have any. Signed, Wondering How to Have It All. Well, Wondering How to Have It All. I thought it would be very helpful to hear from a novelist who I got to meet when I was down in L.A. Her name is Janelle Brown, and she has been where you are. And she's also published several books, so I'd say she's figured some of this out. This is a question that is very close to my heart, because I have been thinking about this a lot lately. I am an author, and I've written three books. My first two novels I published before I had kids, and my third novel I'm about to publish this summer. And the space between the first novel and the second novel, the amount of time it took me to write it, was about two years. The space between the second and the third, when my children came into my life, is seven years. So clearly I have had some issues coming up with a work-life-creativity balance myself. In those seven years, there were definitely times when I felt like writing wasn't possible, and entire months would go by when I was really blocked and incapable of finding a 
intelligent thought in my head that was worthy of being put down on a page. You know, the, the normal hurdles that you feel as a creative um, become so much more amplified when you have kids and you're short on time. So it, it really took a lot of work to kind of consciously get past that hurdle, like installing programs like Freedom on my laptop that would literally cut off the internet for three, four hours so I couldn't look at social media in order to get my brain back in, into space. And realistically, I have to I have to give myself a, cut myself a break that, yeah, when I didn't have two kids, I could write a book in two years. And when I do have kids, it takes three times longer. So I, I do think that as much as possible, integrating kids into the life that you want to lead is the thing that will help you feel like you have your own autonomy. And I do think that there are benefits to being a creative professional while you're parenting. You know, as a mom, my kids look at me and they know that I do something. They know that I'm doing something creative. And especially for my daughter, I feel like it's modeling something really important that um, that I am more than just the person who makes food and, and, and does laundry and yells at them to clean up their rooms. So one of the the most important things that I did that really helped create a, a space for, quote, creative flow, as you put it, was start a collective writing workspace with a bunch of other writers. Um, I live in Los Angeles in Silver Lake, and we have this old mid-century modern building that we've got a big office in with four rooms and about 16 desks. We have a group of about 20, 25 writers that come through those desks every day, and we are there working on our own projects and basically being company for each other while we all do our own things. And what really helps me is I know I have this space to walk into and I have these other people who are all also kind of battling the same issues that I am because most of us are parents. And we have this space that becomes kind of a creative hothouse. You look over there, they're working on a script. You look over there, they're working on a book. Look over there, they're working on a an article for a newspaper, it's much easier to get focused and energized in, the, in that space than it would be if I was by myself at home trying to write. And besides, I've paid for this space, I should use it. So there's this interesting guilt factor that brings me back to the office. And it's, it's totally personal guilt, like my own anxiety about perception. <laughs> but if it works, I'll take it. And the other thing that I've found that has been really helpful is the idea of creative retreats. Especially when I was working on my third novel, I would go run a house with another writer friend and we would hole up for four or five days and just write. And I would be so productive in, in the, over the course of four days. I might write you know, three times as much as I would write in every, any given month. So I highly recommend trying to find space to just get out of town and make a creative space for yourself. Thank you, Janelle. What lucky kids you got to have a mom like you. And now, here's some advice from my mom. Hello to you, wondering how to have it all. There's no way you can have it all, baby. Uh, I renamed you. My new name for you is Sleep Deprived Mom. Hope you like my answer. Dear Sleep Deprived Mom, thanks very much for your question. Your question reminded me about how overwhelmed I did feel in the weeks after Rebecca was born. 
for me, the hardest part was acknowledging that my life had changed so drastically. And and what that meant to me that I was it meant that I was going to have to give up some of the the things that I held dearest those activities that I loved, and I'd have to give up some of my own preferences and wishes. But I assure you that sleep was not one of the things that I gave up. I think you know that it's perfectly normal to feel overwhelmed after having a a, a baby a child. Even when that child gets to be age two or three, it's still a very tough time. The demands on you, of course, are enormous. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And the changes required of you are immense. As I read your question, my eyes kept darting back to the words, five hours of sleep a night. So when I, while I was trying to answer it, I tried to focus on some of the other issues that you raised, but I kept coming back to the sleep issue. So then I wrote a note to myself, sleep issue equals dangerous. So sleep-deprived mom, I'm going to throw you a big challenge. I'm going to say, focus on getting more sleep before you tackle any other issue. If you can't do that for yourself and for your own health and well-being, do it for your child because your child will benefit greatly the more rested his mom is. We know from a tremendous amount of research that sleep deprivation alone can lead to severe emotional disturbance within a few days. Remember, when mama ain't happy, Ain't nobody happy. Thus, I'm making this answer very brief in an effort to maybe shock you into understanding that your main goal should be to increase your sleep. But feel free to send in another question in the future after you have been successful in increasing your amount of nightly sleep. I don't know. It's hard to shock you, Rebecca, but did I surprise you at all? Let's play mother-daughter pickleball. Mom, asking you if someone needs to get more sleep is like asking Tina Turner what love has to do with it. You know what she's going to (laughs) say. Good, good. Then I'm clear. I guess I should have warned people when they send in questions that (laughs) sleep deprivation is a trigger warning for my mom. And if you say that, she'll have no other advice for you except get more sleep. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to help this poor sleep deprived mama. And and she, you know, her kid is not going to be happy with her if she's always all irritable. Most people are pretty irritable when they're sleep deprived. Mom, what do you think about Janelle's idea of having a creative workspace outside of the home? It's a very, very smart idea. And um, I was one of those people who could not work out of my home. Uh, when you were small, I would, I tried uh, for a very short time to have clients come to our living room. It was, uh, it was impossible for me to do that. And so I did get an office outside the home and it it worked so much better for me and you know that can also be a kind of refuge a place to go where you know you know that 
the interruptions are minimal, and that's also wonderful for any mom. Can you offer up any practical tips for this woman you have renamed sleep-deprived mom? I mean, what should she do when she's trying to sleep and her kid is jumping on her bed? I think it's the big picture that I'm talking about. Because she's saying, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this, I want to do that. I, you know, I'm working 40 hours. You know, when I get clients, and I often do get clients in, um, we, uh, long story short, we have a lot of people in an industry real close to where my office is. You can just say that, you in, live in fracking zone. Yeah, right, fracking zone. So... The, the demand for them to work long hours is unbelievably, incredibly intense. And what happens to them, and they tell me this whenever I meet with them, that they have been losing their marriage, their kids don't like them, um, they have no time to recreate or have any fun, they don't sleep well, they're constantly on their phones, their basic needs aren't being met, so... So, yeah, I do believe that strongly. Just further proof that fracking ruins lives. Oh, stop. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. And I hope there aren't any frackers listening. They're too busy working. <laughs> Mom, how am I supposed to stop when all the things you say make me want to say, get back to the frack? <laughs> oh, boy. All my words come back to haunt me. This next question explores an important element in how so many of us work, collaborating with someone else. For many years, I worked with a writing partner on a number of projects, including a feature screenplay and two TV pilots. Our working styles are really different. I like solving work dilemmas via the Socratic method of cooperative argumentative dialogue. On the other hand, my writing partner, who is also a guy and also around my same age, felt like all I was doing was arguing and being combative. It became clear that some of this was a remnant from our childhood experiences. My family likes to argue, and his doesn't. He eventually declared that he couldn't work with me anymore. And it ended not only our working partnership, but also our friendship. Recently, I reached out again to rekindle the friendship. But I still harbor resentment that he was so willing to walk away from our 20-year friendship because of our rocky working relationship. Any advice on how to reach closure so we can move on together as friends? Signed, Fight versus Flight. Well, Fight versus Flight, I think what you need is some advice from some sisters. Nikki and Davia aren't biological sisters, but they are sisters of collaboration and winning Peabody Awards. They're two independent producers who make stories for NPR and their own podcast, The Kitchen Sisters Present. I'd like you to meet Nikki and Davia. Fight versus flight. You've picked the right one for us, I think. Oh, fight versus flight. This is Davia Nelson of the Kitchen Sisters. And this is Nikki Silva of the Kitchen Sisters, one half of the Kitchen Sisters. We both connect deeply to your questions because 
we have very different approaches to how we think about things and take on the doing of something and the relationship to the story. And I think that's something that we've had. I mean, we also have really similar ways too, or we wouldn't have gotten started together and we're delighted by so much of the same thing. And that shared delight is the beam that pushes us through even all these sticky hard stuff that you are talking about and you really articulated so well. But I think that really trying to put yourself in the shoes of the other person might be a really, really helpful thing. I mean, you already are on to understanding that it, things come to you from your childhood. And what one person takes personally and feels is so wrong is really just the way that person was raised. And I'm sure Nikki will jump in here, but I, just jumping to your end there, any advice on how to reach closure so my resentment doesn't fester and we can move on together as friends? Right now that something happened to the point where your friend doesn't want to have a friendship even. And I think you maybe need to just start from that space of being brokenhearted and and saying that to them and and speaking that through and asking them how open they are to, you know, going to that place and working that through. It does sound like you need a pause in your work relationship if never if not a, you know, a termination of the work relationship. But but the friendship's a really different thing. And that's the one to really try and save and savor and, you know, work on and, you know, working together is a different matter. What do you think, Nick? You, you, you have to really try to think about it as the other person is thinking about it and put yourself in their shoes. And if you're a good friend with that person, it's, it's easier to do that. But I also think, you know, as our work relationship and friendship evolved, I mean, we've found that we've, we've sort of had to adjust. And I think it's a lot of flexibility and being willing to try to make some changes and, like maybe defining what it is the two of you are doing and focus on the things that you're arguing about and what's making the other person angry or upset or frustrated. And, you know, try to architect that out if you can. A lot of that's hard, but some things you can do. I mean, you can kind of split up some of the tasks. You can bring in a, another person that's kind of a neutral person or who has their own ideas, but that you can bounce things off of so that you're not always trying to just bounce things off of each other, which makes it tricky, I think. And I think that one of the reasons that we've, well, at least from my perspective, have been able to work it out because, you know, reading this thing <laughs> cracked me up because it's very much um, our story. I mean, in terms of our different styles and the things that we do fight about and argue about and get frustrated about, which we do a lot. I mean, it's like a marriage. It's like any relationship. And like any relationship, it is work. It is hard work. And you have to keep trying and you have to be willing and committed to doing it or you know, it's just not going to happen by itself. I think it has to do with loyalty. It has to do with trust. It has to do with love, friendship, and also, you know, a willingness to say, oh, I'm hurt. How can I not be hurt? You know, what can I do? What can I say? What can I push in conversation or just even within myself that is going to get me past feeling hurt and back on the track of working together and being friends together? Nikki and I have this thing that we call the Kitchen Sisters 12 Commandments. And, you know, they are things like say everything out loud, or it's all within 10 feet, or summon the elders, all kinds of commandments. And one of them is collaboration is king. 
And then we say, and how to collaborate and not kill your collaborator. Because it is, it's, I don't think for anybody, it's just a cakewalk to, you know, merge two styles, two approaches, all that. You know, you have to look at both sides. You have to look at yourself. I actually, I think that's probably the most productive thing about your question and kind of grappling with collaboration is looking into yourself and seeing how, have you stepped up? You know, have you done all the things you could do that make it as easy for your collaborator to be in a good mood and work with you and feel positive? You know, a lot of the times I don't think I have, you know, I mean, a lot of times I do, but not always. And it's really hard when you're in that dynamic. And for Nikki and I, we kind of have different parts of our process that we share. I'm more out there recording. Nikki is the editor. They're just one. I think that's also maybe just seeing your interdependence, seeing one without the other is doesn't really live. It's kind of a double-edged powerful thing because you also know what will really set the person off and because you know them so well. And so you can oftentimes choose, okay, am I going to just say this thing that is just totally bugging me or am I going to step back? Am I going to wait 10 minutes, 24 hours? Am I going to text this? Am I going to email this? Am I going to say it over the phone? I mean, to really sort of think, okay, phrasing, how can I say this or phrase this in a way that isn't antagonistic or doesn't, isn't finger waggy or isn't going to set the person off? You know, there are ways, go take a shower. Just think about it. Is this, <laughs> what's the best way to do this? Go exercise. How often do you go, take showers, Nikki, when I bother I take you? a lot of showers. Oh, I do. Okay. I take I a I lot of showers. Um, no, but you know what I mean? Think about it. And I, and try to make, come to some resolution before you go to sleep. Don't go to bed mad. You know, all those things they tell married couples. It's true. You know, there's this whole thing with relationships. I remember my mother told me about don't say that thing that you can't take back, that you can never, ever make right again, that you can, you know, just really think about it. Think about not wounding the person or hurting the person so badly with in anger or whatever that it's not repairable you know and it and sometimes people do that unconsciously but sometimes you know you just lash out and you just have to kind of try and rein it in think about it fight versus flight it's been great to think about you as we're talking this through and good luck and open heart and lighten up you know keep it light keep it true. And we wish you so well. And um, thanks so much. It's the Kitchen Sisters signing off. Okay. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you so much, Nikki and Davia. I'm very interested to find out what those other 11 commandments are. And now here's some advice from my mom. A great big thanks to the Kitchen Sisters for sharing their wisdom about their long-term partnership and working relationship. And Rebecca tells me that you have been partners since 1979. I know I'm a couple years early, but let me be the first to congratulate you on your upcoming, as Rebecca calls it, a friendiversary. Yes, well worth celebrating. Thank you so much, Mr. Fight versus Flight, for your question. It's a plus that you're able to describe and acknowledge why that partnership ended. I'm glad you understand it. But it sounds like you're still baffled 
by your ex-partner's behavior. So you come from a feisty family with a lot of back and forth, and he did not. When two people are very different, it definitely can result in tension and miscommunication. I'm guessing that he finds it hard to say, or he did find it hard to say no to you. I know from personal experience that it's hard to say no when the other person, when the person at the other end, does not want to hear your no. Maybe that relationship with him had turned into a a kind of power struggle. And in an effort to help you understand him, I'll speak from his perspective. In your past efforts to push for cooperative, I'm using your words now, cooperative, argumentative dialogue, he may have been dumbfounded by that style. He may not have understood at all what, what that was for or why you were doing it, uh, and it, didn't, it wasn't compatible with his style. He might even have felt intimidated by your persistence. Intimidating people sometimes don't even realize that they're intimidating. But we all want to feel understood. He may have felt that his style and temperament type were not acceptable to you. Is it possible that he actually suffered through some years of the partnership with you and he never spoke up about how unhappy he was? Is it possible that that's how it came down? For you, the bad news is that he wants to move on and he doesn't want to be friends. That seems clear to me. The good news for you is you can learn a lot from this relationship and from all the suffering and turmoil that you have been going through and hoping to make it more what you were wanting it to be. So if you wish to pick up the challenge of learning more about how to effectively communicate with someone who is very different than yourself, you might consider reading a book called Please Understand Me. The book is about the Kiersey temperament type sorter. Many people have reported uh, that knowing about temperament type has helped them tremendously in both work and personal life. Now I'm ready for Rebecca's comments. So, Rebecca, did you catch any of my zingers? I mean, uh, pickleballs? That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for mother-daughter pickleballs. Mama, you're just like, you're lobbing them at me. There's so many good pickleballs in here. Oh, I'm glad you like them. So what you're saying is the opposite of what Nikki and Davia were suggesting about salvaging the friendship. You're saying to go ahead and move on and give up on this friendship. That is correct. That is correct. I think he's throwing a lot of time, energy, and um, oh, good energy uh, down the drain when he, you know, when he keeps pursuing this. You're basically saying your favorite thing of exit the scene. Exit the scene, yeah. One of the things to call out here is that not every friendship or partnership has to be a forever relationship. Exactly. Very nicely put. And that's okay. And that's okay. It's maybe not okay with the person who feels they want to continue, but if they can accept it as, you know, we we don't always get to have our way, um, if they can accept it, I 
again, I think you can learn from it and you can make future relationships even better if, if you, you know, learn about these things. I'm glad that you brought up that his partner might have felt this way long before he, he spoke up. Yes. I bet that's not very easy for fight versus flight to hear, but I think it's important because I think that maybe the path to closure in this is moving on to other relationships and moving on to other partnerships um, and being very aware of your communication style in future partnerships. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we dwell on the past, especially a past that didn't work out the way we had hoped, hmm, that that's not doesn't make for a peaceful mind or life. Yeah. But we're asking Fight versus Flight to give up on rekindling this friendship, which means that the closure has to come from within. I I, I think for a person who needs closure, that that's a really good point. The closure that we need comes from within generally. Absolutely. So that might be a hard one for him to accept. But um, when my father died suddenly of a heart attack at age 52, I was in a fight with him. Not, we, it was a long-distance fight because I was in another city. We had fought the last time we saw each other was just a few weeks before. Anyway, it took me years and years and years to get closure on my relationship with my dad and many hours of therapy. But even to this day, we'll think about things that my dad did, and now I understand why he did it or what he was doing and that it fits perfectly into his personality, into his lifestyle. And that's, I say to myself, oh, that's why daddy used to do that. Or I find myself quoting him uh, to my husband, Jerry. Jerry says, you never told me that. But uh, so things come back later. And all those pieces of wisdom that we get from relationships, they stay with us. We may not have them right on the tip of our tongue, but if it's a relevant memory, it will come back to us at the right time. So as you know, I've been on a mission to find accountable individuals to teach me about accountability. Oh, beware when Rebecca goes on a mission. Oh, <laughs> baby. So yesterday I got to meet two accountability buddies. Buddies? Buddies. What, so what are accountability buddies? Well, I'll let them tell you in their own words. Yes, yes, yes. Hi, I'm Majo, and I am a women's leadership coach and host of the Heroin Podcast. Hi, I'm Natalie. I'm a writer and editor, and I'm Maho's accountability buddy. And you guys have been spending the whole morning working as accountability buddies. What, what does that mean? Sometimes when we get together, it's for a working session. Other times it's just for accountability review. And today was a work session. And how that will often start is with a conversation about what we're going to be doing. So she'll ask me, what are you going to do today? And I answer, I'm going to brainstorm all of my new service offerings. And then I say, how about you? And she's like, I have 10 things on my plate. So, you know, the first thing that I prescribe is figuring out what it's going to be. And then we actually just go and execute for 
a predetermined amount of time with the reward of lunch afterward. It sounds like we need to hear the story of how this amazing friendship and accountability buddyship budded. I needed more accountability as a solopreneur because you start this path of starting your own business and you realize like there's no one hovering over your shoulder. Nobody cares if you get the work done. And so who are you accountable to? You don't have a team. And this was like a real stark realization for me. And so I thought, wow, I need somebody to be accountable to. So I was really looking for someone who could meet me at that level. And so I thought to myself, hmm, who could that be? And then I remembered my friend Bernadette had a friend named Natalie and like got it in my mind. It was really strange that like I need to reach out to this woman to see if she'll be my accountability buddy. When I sent you the first email, I, when we got the intro, I think I, we said, let's prototype it for, what did we agree to? Two weeks, I think. I'm touched. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, I think it was a prototype of maybe a few weeks or a month. We just said, let's try it out. So it's really like accountability in action. These sessions are action-filled. Um, can you tell me more about how you guys keep each other accountable when you're not together? In the beginning of the week, I'll email Natalie with what I want to do. And so we started this process of sending each other our weekly goals and responding quickly and just having the other person review and respond. When we first met, we wanted to celebrate wins. I remember that was a huge part. Maho came to me and was like, what I really want to get out of this is to celebrate wins together because I'm pretty hard on myself, but I get a lot done. Like, let's do that. And it's really easy for people like us who are, you know, high achievers and on a certain busy track to forget. So what big wins have you guys had since you became buddies? Huge. I went from being a new freelancer and consultant into someone with a pretty established business. And my quality level and the caliber of clients that I get just double and double and double like every month. And I attribute a lot of that to the specific insights and thoughts and connections that Maho has brought into my life. And then also the personal drive that has arisen out of working with you, um, just being held accountable. And I saw your business completely change and grow. The Heroin Podcast started from this tiny idea. And one of our discussions, you come, you're like, I, I want to start sharing my voice more. Having the motivation and having someone just be able to reflect back to you that mm -hmm. it's possible mm -hmm. is really been a huge win. You're working on a book now. I saw the book come to be, you know? Coming. It's a process. <laughs> coming. Right. But like, I think that when you're an individual and a creative individual, um, at least for me, not everybody, but I experience certain limitations in my mind of what I, what I think is possible. And you can bust that right open in a second. Sounds like your day-to-day -day tasks are quite different, but they overlap and intersect in really interesting ways. What would you recommend to people who might be interested in starting a similar buddyship? I would say find someone who is has the same values like as you. So, you know, in my case, I, I wanted someone who had a strong work ethic, who was not going to flake or who was going to be committed to the relationship, but has a different profession or works in a different industry. So there's enough, there's enough difference and you can cross pollinate that way. When you have an accountability buddy, you're the one who's setting your own tasks still, right? They're not telling you what to do. It's just you being more of yourself with a better structure. 
Maho doesn't know the tasks I need to do that week to be a better writer, but she provides the framework for me to be a better thinker about how to be a better writer or how to be a better professional. That's why I think it's important that you start with a discussion of goals and visions and understanding the other person's vision and letting them fill in the details of how they're going to get there, but you're holding them accountable to that top-level thing. Accountability is happening. I love it. I love it. A big thanks to you, Natalie and Maho. You allowed Rebecca to sneak in and find out more about your accountability group. You know, mothers worry about this kind of thing. You know, how is my daughter ever going to find a nice accountability group? Oh, no, Mom, I don't think they're going to let me be in their accountability group. I just, I think they let me interview them. Just don't make me do that, okay? What do you mean? Don't make me be accountable to somebody, please. (laughs) I think one of the things I learned from them is that you can't force accountability. It has to really come from within. That's that's a good way of thinking of it. Wow. So I my question for you is how are you doing on your summer project of getting back to normal life? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I was at pickleball yesterday again and daddy is doing all kinds of stuff new. He's doing the laundry and <laughs> he's so funny. He uh instead of carrying it down the steps, the bag of laundry, He just throws it down the steps, and then everything falls out, and then at the bottom of the steps, he puts everything back in. It's uh, creative problem-solving. You know, I'm feeling really comfortable back in the practice, uh, everything. And then we we went out with uh, our friends uh, to uh, brunch the other day and had a lovely catch-up with them, and uh, so... Brunch, a sign of normal life if you're my mom. We older people have simple needs. For my summer project of getting back to rock and roll, Uh last night, Brian and I bought a bass for me to play. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I've been taking bass guitar lessons. You'll play and sing? That's the goal. It's not going to be easy, but at least for a couple songs, play and sing. You know, I'm used to just being the lead singer, but... Now that there's two lead singers in one band, I got to find other things to do. Yeah, and you're so used to shaking it up when you sing. But if my summer goal is to get back to rock and roll, this is what I got to do. Okay. (laughs) Rock and roll is such a wonderful thing. From my generation to yours, thank you. (laughs) We love rock and roll. So how are you doing on your summer project, dear listeners? We want to hear all about it. Leave us a voicemail at 7069-ASK-MOM or go to advicefrom.mom and give us a little update on your summer project. Are you holding true to that fun banner you put on your fridge? Advice from Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. Our theme music is by Love Jerks. And the song throughout this episode is Rebel in Motion by Scissors for Lefty. Earlier, I was so cheeky, you had to bleep me. Bleep. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.
Oh, God. All right. So ask me the bleep question again. Oh. <laughs> Don't you dare put that on. I'll, I'll kill you. I'll never do another podcast if you put that on. <laughs>